was reading from my freaking ear pods instead of my plugged in microphone. I've never met a piece of technology more presumptuous <laughs> yeah. than Apple AirPods. Yeah. Like they're constantly like, you want to do this. You. And I'm like, no, I don't. I want to do yeah. this. And they're like, no, no, no. You mean you want to do this. Yeah. There's there's something to be said for buying a cheap ass pair of ear of, you know, <laughs> wireless. I'm just like, earbuds. get out. Don't offer. I'll yeah. tell you I'll when tell I'm you ready for what you. I want. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, name of my sex tape. Hello, and welcome to Murder Husbands, an in-depth episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. What a spicy minx. We are Popsicle a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I am Kelly Sue. Very happy to be here this morning. And as always, I am joined by my Popsicle co-hosts. I don't have adorable intros today. So we're just going to kick it off with the most adorable among us, which is of course, Claire Thorne. All right. Hi, Claire. I, yeah, I will take that mantle and take the secretarial duties that come with it. Absolutely. Fantastic. I am I able it. to adore you. So yeah, Aww, yeah. adore you Abel. Uh, next, we will move to the most goth among us. It is, of course, my associate, Lisa K. Weber. Hello. I tried to say that darkly, but it's you did. You nailed it. <laughs> it works. I need to get my Batman. Hello. Hello. I am vengeant. Next up, we have certainly the most badass among us, Justin Penniston. Um, I would say that perhaps you should speak for yourself, Kelly Simulano. Maybe, but, uh, but only one of us is wearing a Led Zeppelin t-shirt right now. That's true. So... That's true. And, you know, one of us is wearing white lace. Goth, goth, goth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See? This is, how it, this is how it all starts. The synchronization. And finally, the most organized and provocative among us, our fearless producer, <laughs> it's Philip Kelly. I live to provoke. I, I don't know what I said this morning that's so provocative, but. But in an organized way, like you're, so. yeah. I don't know if I can hear this, but are I Are you not familiar with Tim and Eric? <laughs> oh, I love Tim and Eric, yeah. So you know you... about being provocative. So then you know about being organized. It's the cure for having pools yeah. of blood in your stomach. Of course, yes. <laughs> There you go. Well, good. I'm glad we were able to really do that. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hello. I love that Hi, I uh, didn't have any idea who you were going to introduce when you said every single one of those. Like, nice. Yeah. Until the last. Until the last one, I hope. Unless you repeated somebody twice. <laughs> uh, yeah. It would have been amazing if I just introduced myself again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just to keep us on our toes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy. Okay. Before we dive into what I'm sure is going to be a highly intellectual discussion, Claire and Phil. <laughs> wow. A lot of faith and hope in that. A lot of faith and hope. Oh, I, I'm not going to be intellectual at all. So. <laughs> Ooh, man, we're off oh. to a killer start, pun intended. Uh, Claire and Phil are going to take us through a quick actually not so quick recap it's written by me 
of this week's episode and the woman clothed with the sun. Welcome to the episode which contains the inspiration for the title of this, your most favorite podcast ever. We begin with Hannibal smelling Will as he approaches his cell. You'll remember from last episode that Will was all emblazoned with a glorious sense of purpose, saying he simply must take an audience with Hannibal in order to catch the Tooth Fairy. Well, here he is, and wow, is he not happy about it. Hannibal takes advantage of Will's disdain and mentions that he smells like he has a wife and child in his life. With melodrama that could only be matched by a Philadelphia story Hepburn, Hannibal reminds Will that they had a child together too. He's speaking about Abigail Hobbs and the fact that he can blame Will for his murder of this girl is priceless. Will is so stunningly over it. And when Hannibal realizes he won't be getting the juice from his squeeze, finally agrees to help Will. The only thing shared between these two lovers today is an FBI file. Flashback to Hannibal and Abigail and in the scene where we were led to believe he murdered her. Now that we know he didn't, let's see what actually happened. Oh, he transfused an insane amount of her blood into a glass jar, chopped off her ear, and then together they sprayed all that blood all over the room to stage her murder. She rests her head against his chest as he holds her tight, and that is Stockholm Syndrome at its finest. Chef's smooch. Back at the asylum, Will catches up with Alana, who looks like she just stepped off the stage of a Tim Burton musical. God damn it. <laughs> she, she mentions that she and Margo have a baby together and Will shares about Molly and his stepson. Will asks what the hell she's doing running children's former nut house. And she's like, were you not just listening to me talk about my family? He knows, she knows if Hannibal ever escaped. Her and her family are T-O-A-S-T, toast. She reminded Will it's the same for him and urged him not to let Hannibal influence him again. Oh yeah, about that. Will and Hannibal work the case together like old times. They go back and forth about how the Tooth Fairy chooses families, what the deal is with the mirrors, that he's likely got a deformity, and that he probably follows the moon cycles, the bastard. Hannibal mentions that he likely seeks homes with big yards so he can stand naked and blood-soaked under the full moon. Then we are treated to one of my favorite SFX moments, the CGI Will Graham. They wrap up with zero pleasantries because Will hates Hannibal's guts now. And Will heads off to a sad motel room, but not before. Snap, snap, smile, friend. You're on Freddie Lounge's camera. There are a set of flashbacks that illuminate several things. Hannibal held intense therapy sessions for Abigail, helping her kill the memory of her father. Francis Dollarhide had a creepy, terrible childhood with his grandmother could have guessed, to be honest. And Will is distracted at a birthday party, probably thinking of Hanny in his sexy asylum jumper. Back, back at Quantico, the team Zeller Price is like, he's killing the family pets to eliminate any warning they could set off. It isn't quite enough, so Will heads back to the Jacoby's house where all he finds is Freddie Lowndes. He's angry at her for calling him and Hannibal murder husbands. And she's like, you need me. Back to Dollarhide. He's in the market for some infrared film and seeks out the help of Latina Wesley's Reba. She traded vampires for dragons. Reba is blind, which softens Dollarhide given his hangups about his cleft palate. Wish someone would have told him he's still fine as hell. Maybe that would keep him from murdering. 
Anyway, she offers him a kindness he's not used to. She invites him into <laughs> her home for pie, and all of us are like, girl, no. Jack goes to visit Hannibal, and the level of petty in this exchange is truly life-giving. Hannibal basically teases him for dressing younger, asks if, he, asks if he's dating someone new, like, what? And then low-key admonishes him for putting Will back in the pot. Jack is like, dude, we are all in this stew, and you're either going to help or you're not. Hannibal then throws a Bella quote back in Jack's face, and I'm like, this drama queen needs a throne. Or maybe just a phone, because right after this, he gets a call from who? The GD Tooth Fairy. Dollar Hyde impersonated Hannibal's lawyer to get through just so he could express his undying admiration, and to say that Hannibal is the only one who understands his becoming, Hannibal very clearly twists his dastardly mustache. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. Quite a few things went down in this episode, y'all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just a couple two things. I appreciate you calling out Hannibal's wardrobe um, in this episode because the first thing my husband said while we were watching this episode was like, I don't think I could wear one of those jumpsuits. It wouldn't look very good on me. Well, and also right. that jumpsuit is tailored within an inch of its life. Yeah. 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 Honestly, no way in hell that is standard issue. No, he, that is a custom fit yeah. jumpsuit. He looks like a little boy playing prisoner in this. Oh my God. And he it's does, hilarious. it's the sneakers. The, yeah, sneakers. the sneakers make me laugh every time. The way he walks, <laughs> the way he turns and sort of walks along with yeah. people, like everything he does is sort of like, hmm, I'm playing this little game for you all. Oh it's like a little boy. It's very funny. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. And it. I think one of the best things about it is that it really illuminates how it's sort of like he's thinking greater than his environment. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're it's, not going to get me with this outfit. The, I'm going to yeah, walk a, like I'm still wearing a suit. <laughs> there's a, a real element of no matter what, I am more comfortable here than you are. Totally. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I like, love that. And it's in and it's in his body language. You know what I mean? And it's in his like. Uh, I think you see it maybe less in this episode and more in the next. But it's also in his like unfailing, unflagging politeness to people. Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's unreal. His mm -hmm. performance continues to be incredible. Um, but my first question in regards to this episode is actually the performance of somebody else named Richard Armitage. Mm. Um, so while a ton happens in this episode, I feel like we get to see more of Francis Dollarhide the man. Mm -hmm. We see the flashback to his childhood, which is, of course, no surprise. This guy's not coming from, you know, Pleasantville. We see his struggles with his obvious mental illness and then his actual humanity through his new relationship to Reba. What is up, Rutina Wesley? Seriously. Looking mm -hmm. gorgeous as ever mm -hmm. and killing it per usual. So... Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about his character? How are how did this this relationship that he begins land for you? Talk to me about your feelings in regards to Francis. <laughs> I was like, how on earth, knowing what we know about this guy, hmm. how are they making this so goddamn charming? Like, was it just me that found oh. this like burgeoning oh. relationship extremely charming? Very charming. And I'm like, how? How? I don't understand because we know that he is 
doing these incredibly monstrous things that we don't even want to like talk about yeah fully that the show doesn't even talk about fully all the shit that he does and it's like well I think that's I just want to know right? how <laughs> I think that's part of it I think that's why they were able to get away with this level of like horrific serial killer and mm-hmm. I think this is true in the movie as well where they don't show him doing it mm-hmm. I think if they showed him doing it we'd have a much harder time giving a shit <laughs> this is true you are correct <laughs> yeah I mean it's fascinating that all Maybe. of the actual gore we see is on Will instead of Francis Dollar Hyde especially I mean the whole howling at the moon thing with the blood but we do see him howling at the moon though in this episode at one point. Yeah. They, they show or, them both. Yeah. In, in yeah, one but of, they in do show them both, episode, but, we, yeah. but it's true that we don't see the act of him. I mean, yeah, we this don't is true of the show in yeah. general. We we almost never see the actual act. Right. We always just see the aftermath. And, and yeah. usually if we do see the act, it's being reenacted by Will. Right, yeah, like, exactly. You know, yeah. So. It's, it's, yeah. it's Will's persona that we imprint that mm-hmm. act with, which purposeful. Mm-hmm. I mean, duh. I mean, that doesn't take, but still, yeah, I know I agree with Lisa entirely because I cannot think of another instance. I, I mean, I really should probably sit and just really think about this, but I can't think of any other character with which I am both equally terrified at the possibility of his reaction and at the same time, completely invested in wanting something good for him. Like, I just mm-hmm. want him to find the love. And, <laughs> you know, like every oh. single moment with Reba is just filled with equal, like just simultaneous and equal terror and hope. It's like and, dread yeah, and yearning, hope. yearning yeah. for, for someone to find comfort. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. so confusing. It's a really great point that Lisa has that you, we sort of are like instantly rooting for them. It's pretty instant, this instinct, or it was for me anyway. Justin, what were you going to say? Just that the thing that what we do see of Dollar Hyde is we see someone who's clearly very isolated, (laughs) which immediately like elicits our sympathies. In the best house, why are the isolated guys taking up the best houses? Is what I want to know. Because that staircase (laughs) with the stained glass and the uh, just anyway, sorry, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 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 We see that he's super isolated, and more than most, we are actually seeing him struggle with his mental illness. Yeah, like the, the body contortions that he's putting himself through and the paranoia. You know, like that's all for, and like when he's like when he's watching his movies, you know, and that doesn't necessarily seem like a pleasurable experience for him. You know, it seems painful as as transformation, you know, which is what he's doing. He's transforming himself. Transformation is often painful. So it's not like there is an element of it's self-imposed in it, but it's still like we don't see him, you know, 
twirling his mustache and cackling, you know, over <laughs> over his his victims. Do you know what I'm saying? No, he, he's not right. delighted. Yeah, he seems well, like and there's someone a bit who's of like a suffering. dissociative personality thing going on with yes. him too. So there's almost this aspect of like, is he watching these videos to see what he actually did? Because in the moment he doesn't even he's not conscious yeah. in the moment. Yeah, that's that's made pretty clear, I think, in the next episode that there's a sort of disassociation. Uh, I do find that there, were, there was a specific edit in this uh, episode where Hannibal's talking to Abigail and he says, never be ashamed of who you are. And they immediately cut the dollar hide as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the big things that helps this along as well as we see dollar hide in some ways as a victim of circumstance due to that victim of circumstance due to how he feels about himself. Um, again, the mental illness, like there is a, there's a level of victimhood that's equaling out the, I guess, the, the level of hunter and killer that's in him. Um, and that makes it, uh, yeah, the sort of push-pull that we're talking about is, uh, it makes it more interesting. He's Smeagol and Gollum. Mm-hmm, in a way. Which one is the precious? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I give him that much like I don't feel like there's a part of him that is ever fighting against this which you feel with Smeagol you know what I mean like sure. Smeagol wants to be better and I don't think there's no part of Dollar Hyde that says to me I mean there is the dissociation is there yes there's the still mostly human and then becoming a dragon like, yeah but, no I agree I think he he sees his golemness is something that's going to help him and save him. And yeah, he, yeah, he's not he's true. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. certainly not expecting any of this that he anything that he has with Reba. I, you know, he he's just as surprised I think as anybody else would be. Um, which again is a very human response to someone who's so shut off from everything. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, I read I a that's... note which was really oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I was doing research into the episodes and into the, in particular, because, I mean, this is an adaptation of a novel. So there's lots of notes about what's the difference between the show and the novel. And Mm. one of the things that they can't really show in the show is that in the, like, at this point in Dollar Hyde's life, in, you know, his adult life, he's only ever entered, like, five people's homes in his life you know and you know like one is his own two and three are the victims of his families yeah i was gonna say how many of those are the people that he murdered um the the last one was like he had helped another co-worker at one point so he hesitates at the door of reba's home because him walking into a home never means anything good Mm -hmm. you know so he's like you know and it's something they kept but never really explain. I think that's yeah. kind of, you know. Yeah. Well, and it's that aspect, I think, Justin, that kind of is where he starts to be a little bit more hesitant about his transformation, right? He starts to understand, okay, I, there is, here is this unexpected moment of like, I could have a good thing with a person. I could, I could experience a healthy emotion. Um, and it, he, feels the danger that he presents in coming in the door, that classic, you know, vampire needs to be asked Mm -hmm. in. And, and you see that, I I think you see a reluctance to put Reba at risk because he knows, 
you know, it's yeah. not just overwhelming for himself, but it's also, he understands the risk. That well, and how much is. too, cause this, I didn't write this into my question, but this is definitely part of it. How much do we love both the casting of Reba and also, um, the, I think the difference in the way that she's written and portrayed on the show versus the movie is she's got this confidence and empowerment that the Emily Watson version kind of didn't have. I feel in the movie, we were really made to be like, she's a delicate flower, even though she was played very confidently. And she's like, don't, you know, you don't take pity on me. They kind of portrayed her that way in the movie. Was it Joan Allen in the film? Emily well, Watson. I think Emily it was Watson. Joan Allen in Manhunter. Oh, Manhunter. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. Emily Watson in Red Dragon. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. For- um, but here she's so um, she's just portrayed in such an empowered way, which is why I think is it's another layer that makes this whole relationship between the two of them work. Well, it it draws mm-hmm. him out of himself. Yeah. She's like, hey, you snap out of it like <laughs> totally. come, like step out here and meet me halfway and yeah. he's like oh i can do that <laughs> like i can step yeah. out and actually talk to you like a human being yeah there's, there's something really beautiful about that but, yeah. yeah i, I think appreciated it. there are oh. a couple of things at play there i think um on the one hand the fact that we're getting six hours you know to 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 um unfold this story as opposed to two mm-hmm. i think that makes a big difference mm-hmm I think it's unavoidable that we as a society, when we look at white women, we see fragility. And when we look at black women, we see this kind of thorny strength. Yes. You know what I mean? And I think that's like, I think that's unavoidable for all of us, you know, for like, for white people and black people. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, And... I think that there is a real, like, there's a certain je ne sais quoi about Rutina Wesley's performance, which is just, like, super on point. And it's like, she's like an angry mother who's cleaning up something that her kids did because she is wringing the shit. She's wringing every drop of juice out of this do you know what i'm saying like she's given it and uh you know she's every time she's on screen i'm kind of blown away yeah you know, we're, we're talking a lot about wringing juice that's such out a good of way of putting it this, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that she's just she's getting every last drop out of it it's, true. it's like every like frame of her mm-hmm. is so like just impressive yeah. yeah and we know that she can do like fragile you know, mm-hmm. she was a badass on True Blood, but a majority of the time she was scared, she was afraid, she was crying, yeah. you know? We know she can do that really well and she's not bringing mm-hmm. any of that to this. And I yeah. love that. Yeah, same. And I forget until I see her, how stunningly beautiful she is. God, oh she God. is just, yeah. yeah. I'm just like, golly, Gorgeous. like, like, <laughs> and, and not I even, like. with, I say that without an ounce of purience. I'm like, God, she's like a museum piece, you know. It really is. And there's yeah. there is a texture to her, like especially yeah. when they show her hands. Yeah, there is was, a texture yes. to her on scene on screen that is 
like more visceral, more palpable. Like there is something really present about her. She's yeah. I think is I guess I guess when her hands came. Yeah. Is the tiger in this episode? I have next such episode. a hard next time. Episode. Again, separating this episode and the next episode. Yeah. All of these episodes so you'll woven. like one big episode. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, but yeah, I I remember thinking that in this watching that I love that her hand as it, you know, is gliding over the tiger and approaching the mouth. Number one. I mean, Richard should Armitage. Should we do that next? Should we talk about this? In the let's next talk episode? about that yeah, next. We should episode. probably talk about that yeah. in the next episode. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, just, and then in the next episode, you'll also be able to hear me wax poetic <laughs> <laughs> about her, like take my breath away beauty in mm. the love scene. But again, oh, yeah, for yeah. next week. I know my my only point to that was that I just I loved her hand looking oh. so rough and like okay of course she uses her hands in a way that is it's amazing beyond you know well and she's got the so photo chemicals on her hands all the time yeah exactly I mean, yeah. yeah it's like yeah oh. women work I love it yeah um I think this is a nice time to transition to my next question because it feels to me like we, we get seeped so deeply into this story with Francis and with Reba and it's so delicious. And yeah, there's drama going on with Hannibal and Will or whatever, but like, when is that not happening? <laughs> um, but we get a lot of Abigail Hobbs flashbacks in this episode, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was watching thinking like, why now? Why in this episode in particular, why are we going back to these moments with Abigail Hobbs and how do they support the story that's unfolding? I'm gonna say- I wanted to chew that up with y'all. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best Vin Diesel. It's about family. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna straight up, straight up say that I'm probably agreeing with everything Lisa's about to say. So please continue. Yeah. I have a feeling that's everything she's going to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. I mean, like, <laughs> all it needed to be It said. was just so instantly, like, the theme, like, there was such a theme of it in this episode. Like, we start with, um, you know, talking about Will's new family and Hannibal right. being like, what about our family? And then Will talks to Alana about her family. And then we get all of these flashbacks about like, I mean, as much as Hannibal wanted to make this family with Abigail and Will, it never came together. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, there's this, I think it's important that we're seeing this piece of like, when Hannibal was in this really kind of like, hopeful and like nesting place yeah, with her where he was like, oh, I'm going to create this, I'm going to create this family unit. Yeah. And, um, and then of course we've got the whole thing with Francis Dollarhide and families and like his, his aggression towards this idea of the perfect family. And, um, so it's just like, it just keeps coming back to that. And so it's like, Abigail was a, is a perfect kind of like stand in for the entire. So there's a parallel between Will and Francis because Will killed Hannibal's family. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. The, the, <laughs> the difference between 
Hannibal's <laughs> version of like meeting someone and getting a family, like making a family out of a relationship is just so amazingly different than just like, oh, my version of that is to, you know, meet a guy and go on FBI, you know, crime scenes with him and then, you know, find a surrogate daughter and chop off her ear and put blood everywhere and and yet Don't forget the about the months spent with the epileptic light flashing. <laughs> oh yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Um, I he put in the time. He he really did. You know, he really put he in the really time. Going for it. It's really true. It's more than my dad did. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like these these On flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's okay. Sorry, Claire. Go on. Yeah. Go ahead, Claire. <laughs> these uh, flashbacks with Hannibal feels so very, you know, he's choosing these moments in his mind palace because he's really letting himself feel the emotion of being there. And you see that I think in Mads Mikkelsen's performance in these scenes with her, like he is just talk about charming, you know, and, and Francis Dollarhide's character and like feeling that terror and charm at the same moment, the same thing is going on with Mads in this scene Mm -hmm. all of the scenes with abigail because there's this you just feel how content he is in 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 the idea in his hopefulness of what he's going to create and he's just you know sitting in his his cell reliving those those moments and i think maybe you know getting himself back in a mental position to feel that hope again and, and figure out how to move forward. I love those scenes. I, I, the degree to which I wish that that family had come together is very disturbing to me. (laughs) Yeah. There's also, there's a real, from a storytelling perspective, this is almost necessary because Hannibal is otherwise disconnected from the narrative if he doesn't have a familial theme to tap into, you know, True. so that's important. Um, because this is Hannibal, this is not Red Dragon, you know. Yeah. Um, more than that, I think thematically, it's, it's not just about families, but it's about more specifically the strength and fragility of families. You know, the ways in which family builds you up and weakens you makes you vulnerable um and i think from a character arc perspective it really says because spoiler for red dragon um you know hannibal is ultimately going to send dollar hide after will's family yeah and that action gets really because we see in this episode with these flashbacks to abigail what hannibal lost you know, we see that because they, they were building a family, even though Will hadn't become a part of it yet, you know? Right. I mean, yes, we're watching, basically we're watching brainwashing at work, but there is still this real connection between them, you know? And you can tell that Hannibal loves this. You know, he really is happy. Right. Um, and I'm sure that he feels like Will took that from him on a certain level. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just Hannibal being Hannibal when he sends Dollar Hyde after Will's family later on in the story. It's, you know, there's actually a almost vengeful quality to it, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He um, is a psychopathic narcissist, so yes. it tracks. Yes. But always, but always with <laughs> that kind also of take a minute to because we haven't, and it's time. Let's take a minute to really shout out um Casey Roll's performance throughout the show, but yeah. really in this episode. Mm-hmm. The girl is bringing it. Yeah. Yeah. She she has always brought it. She's She's, always brought it. Yeah. And I was just like, huge fan. Huge fan. Mm -hmm. Listen, way to go. (laughs) That's not easy. Mm -mm. Well, just carrying off the flip between her fear and then her her comfort. And then, because think about the scene where she's in Hannibal's kitchen. It right when Hannibal gets the call that oh they know about us and we we know what's getting ready to happen. Think back to her demeanor in that actual episode when the, those events are happening and her her just her flip between being guided and controlled and and um, soothed by Hannibal on one hand and then when she's actually confronted with a violent act she's still very, you know, that underlying fear is, is very much there. Yeah. She's got a lot to do. A ton. Yeah. 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 And can, and it's like the switch between it's like, you know, he's trying to make her feel empowered, even though she's not, Mm -hmm. Um, he wants her to feel that she is. Mm -hmm. So the whole scene with her, like, you know, killing her, her father, um, and like that whole thing where it's like she she starts to kind of like take on some of the qualities that you can see Hannibal wants her to have Mm. so to go from that where she starts to feel like oh I can do this to that last moment where she's like terrified just like you can see how terrified she is at everything that's about to happen that it's like this is beyond my control and it always has been um it's weird to me that we've never I've never seen her in anything else, I know. Because she um, is. She was she does. in the Magicians for a while. I don't know if anybody watched the yeah. Magicians. Was yeah, she the Magicians? She okay, because I, I want to watch that and I haven't watched it. You know. Well, I could understand if after this she was like, you know what, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she is. is. I, don't I think she's still out there doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I've seen her. I'm going to look it up here, but before we go Definitely. to break, but I, yeah, yeah, look it up while we're on the break. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll circle back to that when we come back from that break. Uh, Go and listen to this really important thing that we need you to listen to, and then we'll see you when we get back after you listen to that thing. This episode of the Popsicle Podcast is brought to you this month by HunterBlackComics.com. Hunter Black is the best damn hard-boiled fantasy webcomic on the internet. Just ask series creators Justin Penniston and William Orr. If Tarantino, Tolkien, and Tartakovsky made a webcomic, it might be half the two-fisted tale of blood-soaked revenge that Hunter Black is. Maybe. There's a new page every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and it's absolutely free. So what are you waiting for? Hunterblackcomics.com because you need a comic that'll kick your ass. Bravo. That, that was a feeling. That sounded really good. I mean, I'm happy with that. Me too. If, if Justin isn't, then he can fuck himself. 
I hope you send him that in the recording of that ad. I'm going to. I'm going to. I, I, I think so. I think so. For all our fanables out there, if you're enjoying this conversation, we have an announcement. The next series that we are excited to be tackling, um, because you know we're not going to go do a sitcom after this. Not that's not us exactly. <laughs> Is David Lynch and Mark Frost's classic murder mystery Twin Peaks? We will be discussing everything in canon, the only way Popsicle knows how, by being awesome. You can expect episodes to begin airing in June after our final episodes of Murder Husbands have dropped. And Justin and I, I think we're the we're the newbies. We're the only newbies, right? Are we? Uh, I Peaks? am a Twin Peaks virgin. Virgin. Never seen yeah. anything that wasn't in a commercial. Yes. Never seen anything that wasn't <laughs> like, yeah, a snippet on Man. like somebody trying to, yeah, anyway. So that's going to be exciting. Um, the best way to keep up with all the goings on with Popsicle is to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you may listen. Follow at Popsicle Pod on all social media platforms or signed up or, you know, do both. Sign up for our newsletter at popsiclepod.com for all upcoming and ongoing podcasts and related info. That's P O P S K L P O D. We're back from the break. Okay, so my my during the break research into Casey Roll, um, if if Justin hasn't seen her in other stuff, then that's on him because oh. I, I it, we're, we're gonna freaking list all the things that she's been in wow. that he probably should have noticed her. Um, starting go, starting with uh, V. Uh, that with oh. Marina Baccarin, that little revival thing. Oh, and I didn't watch that, yeah. She was in Caprica, an episode of Caprica. She's been in an episode of Fringe. Uh, we're going to keep going here. I promise Supernatural, The Killing. Uh, an episode of Supernatural, really? I think I remember her in Supernatural. I yeah. think she was in a few episodes. Yeah. Um, she was a recurring character. She was a recurring character in the revival of X-Files, the 2016, like, whatever ah, new yes. season, blah, blah, blah. Once Upon a Time, Wayward Pines. Hmm. Yeah, a whole bunch uh, of shit I haven't watched. Yeah. yeah. Arrow. Okay. Who was she? Was she a recurring character? She was in 12 episodes of Arrow, so. And really? The Magicians. Yeah. Damn. So, oh, I, I must go, okay, because I've seen every episode of Arrow. Okay. Get with it, Justin. <laughs> well, we take back everything that we said about this role before the Very break. Busy. Way I to go, thought, girl. Yeah. You are our genre princess. <laughs> okay. So getting back to this episode, we have spoken a lot about Hannibal and Will, Francis and Reba. Abigail. But now I want to talk about Jack. Um, when I was doing research for this episode, I found that Jack Crawford never actually visits Hannibal in the book. So why do we think this scene was added? Just to give Hannibal something to do, to illuminate what a total bitch he is, or to just give us some Jack Crawford looking fine as hell. Can I, sorry, I keep starting, but can I start? Cause it's Please. like, I, I didn't really think about it until like 
jump in. Hearing this question in context of the conversation we just had, yeah. Jack has also lost a family, you know, like he lost yeah. his family as well. So he and Hannibal are actually kind of in a similar spot right now, trying yeah. to figure out like, well, and Hannibal very now. generously <laughs> reminds him. Oh he yeah. He's such a fucker in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> such a fucker. Well, like, dude, you tried to kill him thrice. <laughs> what are you pissed about? <laughs> anyway, Justin, it looked like you were going to say something. Uh, just that. Um, also, I think one of the things that the show does that the books didn't, because we've basically seen all the backstory to Red Dragon leading up to this. Right. And Jack and Hannibal actually had a robust relationship, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that, if if that's true in Thomas Harris's imaginings of what came before, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter in the book. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. And, but here, it would we would be remiss not to revisit their relationship, you yeah, know? True. Well, and I appreciate and, the fact that it's basically just whose dick is bigger right now. Like, they, they are just testosterone posturing at this point they're they're like like over will too like yeah (laughs) like i love that it would be more honest to just eat his brain right out of his skull (laughs) was like oh my god (laughs) it's it i I, because i don't see this testosterone posturing at all like okay like hannibal is legitimately (laughs) behind bars wearing a jumpsuit that i will reference many more times throughout (laughs) the course of this podcast and he's standing there saying to jack you're dressing younger oh my god get out of here oh my god (laughs) and and that's why it doesn't feel testosterone feel to me actually because it's so bitchy like, oh, <laughs> Justin, if you don't think dick swinging isn't oh bitchy, I mean, it is. I know, yeah, it's true. Is, it's yeah, like, it is. <laughs> we're really defining as bitchy here. <laughs> exactly. That's oh my word. That's a broad term. Well, and there's always this, I mean, we're still back to the same question of, you know, kind of Hannibal pointing out the, the degree, whatever degree of hypocrisy there is in Jack, you know, saying that he's there to protect will when he's you know very much in the same position as hannibal right now trying to put his family back together and that's not a healthy yeah that's not a healthy thing for all the parties involved and it's Mm -hmm. yeah very true yeah i feel that this whole meetup between jack did y'all ever see that clip it was circulating a lot uh after her passing but the clip of uh betty white on the Tonight Show when it was hosted by Joan Rivers. No. Oh. No. And they were just going like shot for shot with each other. Mm. Like she comes out and Joan says, "Oh, I thought I told you to wear something nice." <laughs> <laughs> and then she says to Betty, "Did you see my cover of People?" And Betty White is like, "I don't know, maybe." <laughs> <laughs> Or something like that. It's so much better yeah, than I could I ever love that stuff. Than I, I could it. ever like, you know, but they're like politely jabbing each other and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of what was going on in that scene, which I <laughs> just I really loved. It was one scene and it stood out to me enough to ask a whole ass question about it. Oh well, yeah. I mean, it was a great scene. I was so like, good. God damn, that is that is some good. primo shit. Bill, you haven't said anything about anything. Tell us your thoughts. Well, a lot of what I would have said has been said, uh, especially about the Abigail Hobbs stuff. I, 
I mean, I think one of the big takeaways from this is uh, Jack admitting that a will is almost always his best self when he's with Hannibal, that he doesn't do it better without Hannibal around. Um, he kind of says that and, and Hannibal goes, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that's a really interesting, you know, yeah, it just is uh, Jack being honest. Uh, you know, he, he comes around all innocent to Will a couple episodes prior to this. Like, hey, Will, you want to help out? Here's some photos. Oh, you know, love to have you back. <laughs> and now he's like all in here like, yeah, you know, we're all in the stew anyway, whatever. You know, it's it's um, as as much as, uh, you know, he's been through Jack, he's still kind of the same in this coming back in in some ways. So uh, I do I do like that about this. I love that. Well, this is the perfect time, I think, to transition into our favorite segment, I think. Can we just say that? Can we call it our favorite segment at this point in the game? We love it. It is, of course, Exquisite Corpse. And listen, this is a tough one. Because there there's no really, corpses in the episode. There isn't really a corpse in this episode. And yet there so, is. Well, but there is. Uh, so shout out, pre-shout out to Justin for the for exquisite corpsing this episode. What do you got? Well, there isn't any murder, murder in this episode <laughs> but there is a corpse because as it turns out you know in a show that's so hallucinatory all the time it's hard to tell what's real and so when we see garrett jacobs hobbs body yeah. you know during one of his brainwashing sessions with abigail yeah. the first thought you know because it seems so well preserved is that it's hallucinatory and I've come to the belief that it was by no means hallucinatory <laughs> because Hannibal is using sensory effects to mess with Abigail. You know, um, he begins by having her smell the knife while blindfolded um, and then shows her, you know, her posed and dressed father. And, uh, you know, it's... It's interesting because it this so close to the end of the series really brings us full circle in a way because you know he was killed in the first episode. Um, you know, the I found myself asking, did Hannibal always have this body or did he go get it? I think the amount of time this passed suggests he's always had it, so he's had this plan with Abigail Hobbs for quite some time, you know. Um, and He's so well preserved. I, I found myself wondering how much time had passed since his death because he was so well preserved. And I did a little research. Um, and a, a human body after embalming can be preserved for up to two years, six months to two years is the so it, you know, that's not unrealistic. That's not really necessarily bordering on the realm of fantasy so much. Um I just say that that in itself kind of just isn't right. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I don't it, know how many times you've seen a, a, a body post embalming, but it's never right. It's never mm. right. No, never right. It's, you know, I've seen one once and that's already too many times. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I've I don't seen a few. Don't understand the, myself. The kismet of us watching of this episode, and I didn't even really remember that his, you know, uh, her dad's 
body was in this episode and my listening to continuing to listen to Caitlin Doty's books on death. And she's got three now. Um, she's a, uh, owns a mortuary and has, you know, done work for a crematory and just has really fascinated in different cultures, um, and their death rituals. And in the one that I'm reading right now, it's called from here to eternity. And it's really just her traveling around the world and experiencing other people's varying burial, uh, rituals. And, just finished this chapter about this community in Indonesia. Um, the people are called the Tarajan. Um, and it's a very rural, you know, kind of out of the way community. They, they <laughs> mummify their dead through like a long process. Then they tuck the, the mummified bodies away in little easy to access graves or like parts of their house like Norman Bates, I'm not even kidding. And then every three years, they have a community tradition called the Menene, where everybody takes their mummified relatives, loved ones, out of their graves and they clean them and dress them and talk to them and keep them in the house with them and just like have activities with them. And it, oh. It, wow. It's fascinating. The, ima the <laughs> Just, images yeah. of it, like look at the images of it. it it's really beautiful, actually. It, it, yeah. And the and the ways in which we've uh, in American culture made embalming and that and and it the irony of the fact that we we require this, like making it the corpse beautiful and permanent, right? While simultaneously putting it completely out of sight and never looking at it again and mm -hmm. never, you know, experiencing it visually is so discordant in like emotionally, psychologically, it's, yeah. Anyway, we, just thinking about wow. that culture and that tradition and that, yeah. and then seeing the body and what's being done with it. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty we, amazing. We have a very amazing. Oh. American society is really, really founded on, you know, Judeo-Christian tight acidness, <laughs> you know, and like, and it's, you know, and our, well, it's but, about that tight acidness about so many things. But you know? but originally, yeah. that Christian culture in America, up until the point of the Civil War, was not this this preserve the body, you know, kind of thing. That's a pretty much entirely capitalism. Embalming came about because a they couldn't get bodies from the battlefield in in you know a Civil War battlefield home to their people. Right. So it became like a, you know, the guys selling t-shirts at a concert, you know, the, the, it became like embalmers just did that. They just showed up in tents and started embalming guys to send home from the battlefield. And it's been a moneymaker ever since that's the 92% of the reason why we do it. That's Insist insane. On it. Yeah. Uh, money, money, money. Yeah. Well, your mention of mummification you know, brings back the fact that the most famous mummifiers are the Egyptians, obviously. And there's this whole thing about, you know, the point of mummification for the Egyptian was to keep the body suitable as a receptacle for the soul when the soul needs it again. And that seemed very apropos to what is happening here. Right. Because Abigail is facing her father and there's an element of the father needs to be there for her to do this. Mm -hmm. 
and it's not just the body that needs to be there it's yeah. the essence of what makes Garrett Jacob Hobbs Garrett Jacob Hobbs there and he encourages her to love her father as her father loved her so of course she slits the body's throat you know and then for me the ultimate question was is this hallucination or not was answered when she cuts his throat oh and it's not God. blood that spills out but mm-hmm. seemingly embalming fluid you know. <laughs> yes chicken broth. i thought apple cider but she got okay, some chicken yeah. soup for the soul girl i mean it is hannibal <laughs> Um, I love that, Justin. That is, of course, you're coming with a super powerful, exquisite corpse when there isn't even technically a corpse in the episode. Um, exquisite corpse is my jam, sort of. It totally is. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah, and you're really good at it. Really good at it. <laughs> the imagery really of jam, like actual, I get that the word jam you're, as you're saying it, but it just brings to mind actual jam that you eat, and that might not be a good visual for, for Hannibal, maybe it's perfectly apropos. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, it is perfectly apropos, but yet I would like to have some jam later. And I don't know. When I hear the word now. jam, I think immediately, every time, of space balls. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's what I think of. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Anyway, um, so. <laughs> Let's just go to Lisa for the recommendation before I say anything else that's stupid. Lisa, please tell the that people was... based on this episode, based on our beautiful exquisite corpse as presented by Justin, what else might the listeners of this podcast enjoy? Um, I am going to recommend Spaceballs. No, I'm, uh, I, I'm going to recommend, um, a show that was on a few years ago on FX, um, called Legion. Um, it ran for like three seasons. Um, it was created by Noah Hawley, who also is the uh, creator of the TV show Fargo, which is also fucking fantastic. And everybody should watch that too. But I'm talking about Legion specifically because it's like so surreal and fantastical kind of the way this show is. And um, it actually like kind of, it pings on this episode a lot because the central character is like diagnosed with having this dissociative personality disorder. And, you know, it turns out that it's like he actually has like a parasite living inside of him that is confusing his personality with its personality. And it's it's very tangentially in the X-Men universe, um, but takes a lot of liberties there. Um, and it's just, you're like, there's, it's just it's really special. (laughs) So, um, if you like Hannibal and you like this episode, I think you're going to like Legion. So check it out. Actors are amazing as well in that show. Dan, um, what's his name? And Aubrey Plaza, uh, Dan Stevens, Dan Stevens. Thank you. Dan Stevens is incredible. 
I keep yeah. hearing yes. Uh, and and Leech was a character that I did not love in the comics, so I never bothered with the show. But it has, as nothing. far as I could tell, it's not, I didn't, I never read the comics, but I don't think this really no. is based on any comics. No. It's he's like not, just its own thing. He's and, not like the Legion in the comic at all. <laughs> kind of like, and I don't know if you've seen Fargo either, but Fargo is also tangentially based on the movie Fargo. Right. But it's like it goes on this whole magic realism bent as well. Mm. Um, love it. So yeah, yeah, that's so you've got yeah. three recommendations, y'all. <laughs> Fargo, Legion, and Space. Like honestly, if you're listening to this and you've never seen Spaceballs, go go watch Spaceballs now, right now. Well, and I feel like I've talked about it in three episodes in a row. So author Caitlin Doty also definitely uh, yes she's also mm-hmm. a local she owns a local mortuary here in los angeles so if you want mm-hmm. to have your death be in a different way than you know the average american yep. death you can go check that out too Danibles, please go and rush this woman at her job <laughs> <laughs> tell her use the murder husband zero one uh, exactly express uh, code yeah, code for uh, just no, there's no <laughs> discount people there's none oh my god <laughs> wow okay perfect time to end unless anybody has any burning lingering thoughts they'd like to share about this episode. oh wait i want to say one thing actually since oh you wow it up. okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> the opening scene between hannibal and will the way hannibal delivers the line pencil liquors oh man <laughs> Yes. That's a good note to go I, out on. <laughs> I, I loved it. I just, I was like, oh, damn. That was, yes. that was an excellently I'm delivered really happy that two that was words. spoken into this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners, we leave you with pencil liquors. Exactly. Listen pencil up, liquors. pencil liquors. <laughs> Join us next Tuesday for season three, episode 10, and the woman clothed in sun. You can always help us. You can always help us. Yes, you can. By subscribing, sharing, and leaving a nice comment about this searing discussion on this show. Until next time, bon appetito. This has been a Popsicle podcast production. In your face. In your face!